Good morning. Good morning. There we go. Good to see you all here today. My name's Matt, lead pastor here at Anchor Church and part of the Erskineville Gospel Community. And I just wanted to add my welcome to Brad's. It's great to see you here this morning. Um, our, our GC's um, been farewelling lots and lots of people. We've been multiplying, sending people to launch new GC's. But this week we're farewelling uh, someone who's been with us for a number of years. It's Laura Sherman's last Sunday with us. She's moving to Queensland with a really unique opportunity to work with um, some world-leading Christian psychologists. And so um, Laura's been a massive blessing to us, part of our worship team. But uh, today we farewell her, so we'll miss you. But um, God has got some exciting opportunities ahead for you. So thank you for blessing us and loving us and serving us so well. Before we get to the message this morning, I just wanted to um, give you a quick budget update. Our habit here at Anchor is to keep you informed about our monthly budget. And um, today I've got some good news to share with you all. So um, we're back We're back in black. We're back in the black this month, which is good news. This has been our best month ever. So two consecutive months in a row where we've done PBs as a church in terms of our giving, which is great. And we're seeing some really super positive and encouraging trends in our giving. So let me just show you a couple of graphs up on the stage. You'll see without external giving. So we've got a bunch of people who support us externally from outside of our anchor family. Our Sending Church Multicultural Bible Ministry at Ridley Hill is one of those, along with a number of individuals who support us. So we take that giving out of this factor just as a way of showing us where we need to get to as a church to be financially self-sufficient. Because by the end of this year, most, if not all, of that seed funding will drop off and end. So we're giving you these figures to help prepare you for what next year will look like. And the last couple of months have been great. This month, we made nearly a $500 profit just by ourselves. So well done, Anchor. We've, we've done really well there. The next graph you'll see there is uh, our percentage of givers. So there are 60% of you who call Anchor home who are giving, contributing financially towards the work of the gospel here. So that percentage is up as well. Our average giving, which I think is the next graph, is up again to around $196 per person per month, which is good news. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's keep this going. This is good, positive, encouraging trends as we head towards the back end of this year. We're going to spend some time thinking about what's next for us next year in terms of um, vision and moving forward as a church and a lot of what goes into those decisions is budget and finances and staffing. And so when a church is in a good, healthy position, it allows us to move forward with the vision that we have and be able to fund that vision and put money behind it. So we're really excited about what lies ahead for us as a church. There's some really exciting things in that budget. So thank you for those of you who have partnered with us in that way. If you're new, maybe you haven't jumped on board with giving yet, we'd love you to pick up our giving document, which is at the Connect desk. You can read that, find out all of the ways that you can give here, the reasons for giving, all of those things. So uh, thank you. That's our budget update. Good news. I love being able to deliver good news. We're going to get into the Word now. So if you've got a Bible, head to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to read just a few verses from the start of Colossians chapter 4. And then Alnado will finish out Colossians for us next week. A couple of our staff will be on leave. Tash and I will be away next week. Uh, Brian and Tara are away for two weeks. So pray for uh, good rest uh, for us. And um, if you've been... Um, 
uh, up to date with uh, the, the Santiago's. That whole family is sick again. They've been sick for a long time. Catherine has a broken foot. So please pray for healing for them. Uh, pray, for, pray for our staff. I don't know if you pray for your pastors regularly, but we would really appreciate your prayers. So I'm going to pray right now. Let's go to Colossians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. The verses will be on the screen behind me, but let's pray. God, I thank you for your generosity. I thank you that uh, as a church together that we're able to pull this thing off. Thank you for the abundant blessing that you have given us to be able to hire facilities and employ staff and rent offices and all of the things that we do. We give you great praise for all of the generosity that has been inspired in this church. God, we know that you are a generous God and we pray that you would continue to make us a generous people. And we pray now as we come before you in your word that you might speak to us. We pray, God, that by your spirit you would convict us and shape us and grow us. Help us to be a people who are moving forward, a church who is moving forward on its knees, prayerfully dependent on you as we seek to make much of Jesus. So we pray, prepare our hearts for what you would say to us now. Change and transform us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. And those who agreed said, Amen. All right, Colossians chapter 4, starting at verse 2, and it says this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. You know, in her book, um, The Female Brain, an author by the name of Luann Brizendine made this outrageous claim that we all swallowed hook, line and sinker and believe that women on average speak 20,000 words a day, whereas men on average speak only seven. And we're like, yes, that is totally true. That's been my experience. The husbands here are like, yeah, I think that's true. My wife speaks a lot. Uh, and so we've, we've had this narrative of you know, chatty women and silent men, but there was no real research to back that up. And so the University of Arizona decided to research the claim, and they found that on average, women spoke 16,000 words a day, and men, on average, spoke 16,000 words a day. And so there's really not this myth of this huge difference between male and female in terms of how much we speak and how much we don't is not really accurate. But it kind of got me thinking, 16,000 words a day is a lot of words. It's a lot of talking. It equates to about 112,000 words a week or six, six, six million words a year. Six million words a year. Now, that is the equivalent of reading Harry Potter, one of the Harry Potter novels, 80 times a year, once every four days. If you were to just read it out loud, that's the equivalent of how many words you would speak on average a year. It's a lot of words. But what they did find was that there's this great range between average talking. In their research, they found that the person who spoke the least spoke an average of 700 words a day, and the person who spoke the most spoke 47,000 words a day, and they were both men, right? Now, that equates 
to 17 million words a year. If you're a chatty person, you're talking a lot. It's a lot of talking. But I wonder, I wonder how many of those words are words of prayer directed towards God. Of all of the words that we say in a given day, in a week, I wonder how many of those words are words of proclamation of the good news of Jesus and what he has done. You know, as I think of my own life and ponder those percentages of my own words, I think I'd probably be embarrassed if I figured out what percentage of my words were words of prayer and words of proclaiming Jesus. But we all know the power of words, don't we? Words have great power to build people up. Words have great power to tear people down. Words have changed the world. You think of some of the most famous speeches in the world. It's been said that for every word of Hitler's Mein Kampf, 125 Jews lost their lives. Words have power. And none more so than words of prayer. None more so than words of speaking of the good news of Jesus. P.T. Forsyth, a Christian author, has written, he says this, that the most important thing that you can do with your words, with your mouth, is to pray. The most important thing that you can do with your words is to pray. Now, you might think, well, surely the most important thing I can do is to proclaim Jesus. And yet, without the power behind that proclamation, our confession of Christ is mute and weak. What I want to demonstrate today by looking through this passage is that our proclamation of Christ without petition is powerless. That is, as we speak of Jesus, that must be undergirded on a foundation of prayer. We must have words that reach heaven and words that reach people's hearts. And so I want to demonstrate that close connection between prayer and speaking of Jesus today. And Paul encourages us to think of our words in two directions. Words that are upward words that are spoken to God in prayer and words that are outward words that are spoken to our world about Jesus. And so firstly, let's have a look at his, his upward words, words that would reach Heaven in prayer. In verse 2, Paul says this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Be devoted to prayer is what he's saying. A church that is busy, not with activity, but busy with prayerfulness, determined not to give up on pleading with God. Now, let me just do a, a bit of a survey. I'd like to see a show of hands for this, but... Last week, I asked us as a church to pray that God would fill the Anmore Theatre. 2,000 people worshipping Jesus. Now, honestly, who prayed that prayer this week? Give me a show of hands. One, two, two people. And you might, well, if you told me you were going to ask me next week, I would have prayed. That's the point. That's the point. All right? That's an impossible dream. But it's nothing compared to our vision of wanting to see a city radically transformed by the gospel. Maybe this week, let's just encourage our hearts a little bit by changing the question. Who prayed for a friend that needs Jesus this week? Anyone? Give me a show of hands. Who, yeah, all right. Much better. All right. Let's just call it the same thing and, and feel a bit better about that last question. But 
We need to be a church as we continue to say that moves forward on its knees. You know, I, f- I feel like this is partly a bit of a personal leadership rebuke for me because we've, we've been fighting this uphill battle of prayer culture since we planted Anchor. We started with all this energy and momentum and lots of prayer and fasting and prayer walks and all this kind of stuff. And then we just got busy doing church stuff and prayer has been this constant wrestle and struggle that we've had. And I want us to grow in this as a church. I want us to grow in this significantly. Prayer is the power for mission. Prayer is the power behind every hope and dream that we have for Anchor Church. And if I had a magic wand, not that I do, and not that I believe in magic wands, but if I had a magic wand, and and if I could wave a wand over this church... I think I would ask God that he would make us a praying church. Now, I'd be very tempted to say, God, just give us hundreds of thousands of salvations of people coming to faith in Jesus. Why not ask for that? Because I believe if you did ask for that, if you did say, God, give us hundreds, what he would force us to do is get on our knees and pray for it and ask him to do it because that's how God is glorified. Our prayers, individually, corporately, as a gospel community, as a gospel triplet, our Prayers are instrumental in God's plans for this city, for your friends' lives, and for this world. He will achieve his purposes by our prayers. You might remember that when we shared our vision with you and the, and the vision document that we gave you, one of the things that we hope to see next year is vibrant, flourishing prayer meetings. That's how we want to see vibrant, flourishing prayer meetings. And so, not that next Sunday, the following Sunday, the 9th of October, we're hosting another prayer meeting. We're going we're gonna to start small, but we're going to start with faith and expectation. And I would love those of you who, who are keen to pray to come full of faith, full of expectation, that we would plead with God to do what only He can do in transforming lives in this city. Let's fill that room, get on our knees, and pray that God would work that this wouldn't just be our strength, that this wouldn't just be what we do, our strategy, our efforts, but that this, this church, what we're trying to do, would be a powerful and mighty work of God. And so the first thing that Paul says there is that we ought to be devoted, continually, steadfast in prayer, not giving up. Not giving up because we're busy, not giving up because we're tired, not giving up because we're distracted, not giving up because we've been discouraged by unanswered prayer, continuing steadfast in prayer. That's the first thing he says about our upward words. Now, I wanted to share a story with you in this because um, I found this story particularly encouraging. It's a story that I read from a book called Vertical Church by James McDonald. And he shares a story of how their church was founded on prayer, that at every point, every decision they made, everything that was significant about their church came because the church got on its knees and prayed. He shares one story about their church. They'd been meeting in this small warehouse. They'd packed it out. They'd been there for 13 years. They couldn't fit a single person in the building. They couldn't start another service. It was just packed out. That that hit a ceiling. And so they they formed a search party to find a new venue to meet in in their city that would be good for their church to grow. And they found one building. In the whole city, they found one building. And it was a huge, historic Catholic church. 
And so here is James, the Protestant minister, rocking up to the Catholic Church saying, can we please have your building? Can we buy it from you? And there were months and months of negotiations and the church was praying and he was personally praying. He said he was praying with great faith and had this great sense of expectation about what God was going to do. He would get up before the church and say, church, you're about to see a huge miracle. You're about to see God work. He would even, he said, they, they, they took the elders, they would sneak into the building at night, hold hands and pray on the venue. And he said at times he would sneak in, get on the ground, lie on the ground and just claim the building in the name of Jesus. He would claim it for their church. And, and then the church said no. After months and months of negotiations, the church said, no, we're not going to sell you the building. And he was devastated and discouraged and wondering why he'd had all this sense of expectation and faith about these prayers and realized probably deep within his heart he'd be pursuing the gift instead of the giver and learned some good lessons in there. And then a family arrived at his church and said, oh, hey, by the way, um, we've got this, this very large venue. It's around 250,000 hectares. Uh, it's got about you know, an auditorium, you fit a few hundred, a few thousand people in, not a hundred thousand, a few thousand people in. Uh, and we just feel God wants us to give it to you for a dollar. Right? And you think, oh, of course. Here we are pinning all of our hopes on this thing. We're praying hard, but God's answer lies somewhere else. And that, that story just encouraged me because it is an, an illustration of two things. One, I think how often... Our solutions and answers to our prayers are different from God's, but the other is what persistent, faith-filled, expectant prayer produces in the life of a church. And so Paul expects his church, he calls his church to pray continuously and persistently. But have a look at what Paul asks them to pray for in verse 3. He says this, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So he asks for an open door. When he's in prison, he asks for an open door. Now, you, it's a bit of a cheeky play on words there that I think he, he's not necessarily saying, God, get me out of prison. But what he's asking for is an opportunity for the word. It's an open door for the word. And so often, if you read Paul's letters, that opportunity that Paul receives is the opportunity that he has as he's standing chained next to two Roman guards and soldiers as he shares his faith with them as they sing the apostles sing praises to God throughout the night as they're in jail and often so often we're so blinded to the opportunities that God has put right in front of us because we feel that these circumstances are not what God has that's not an open door or this this opportunity this is too hard this circumstance and I'm I'm too focused in on what's happening to me to cast my eyes on what God is doing right in front of me, the people that God has put right in front of me. So Paul says, God, give me an open door for the word. Church, pray for an open door for the word, an opportunity, an opportunity to speak. He uses this language of open doors all throughout the scripture. In 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9, Paul says this, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries as well. When he returns from his mission trip back to Antioch with his 
mission partners, they gather the church together and they report all of the things that they have done. And Paul says that God has opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. What he means by this language of an open door, this metaphor here, is that this is a God-appointed, God-given opportunity, a holy encounter that you would speak of Christ, that you would share the good news of the gospel. So Paul says, pray for that. Pray for opportunities. Pray for holy encounters with people. Now, this doesn't mean that you pray and then sit back and wait for that perfect opportunity that lines up so well that the person is almost guaranteed to give their life to Jesus. All you have to do is kind of like just go breathe on them and they fall over and receive Christ. Like, that's not what he's saying, right? Paul, of all people, the door creaked open this much and he would kick it through and burst through and preach the gospel, right? This is not sit back and wait for God to do things. God-appointed moments aren't always miraculous and spectacular and supernatural. Sometimes they're ordinary and mundane and everyday. Sometimes they happen Monday morning on the bus. Sometimes it happens as you pick up your coffee. Sometimes it happens as you send a text message or phone call. Sometimes there are spectacular moments as Paul is released from prison miraculously and is able to continue to preach Christ. And so when was the last time that you prayed for opportunity? When was the last time that you asked God to open a door for the word? And I don't mean, dear God, give us, an op give us opportunities to talk about Jesus. Right? I, I, I realize we all pray that prayer. I mean, when was the last time that you pleaded with God that he wouldn't just give you the opportunity but you would have the boldness to back it up when that opportunity comes that you would pray with with expectation that those opportunities would come that you would be looking for them that you would pray with faith that God would use you you know last week at our um, gospel community leaders meeting we were sharing some stories about things that have been encouraging in the life of our gospel communities. And uh, we heard a story, or a number of stories really, that came out of the, the Randwick gospel community. And so Jeff and Justin and Greta are down here. They've been doing such a good job of leading that group, and along with Danny and Nat, who have been hosting. And we just heard, I, I remember last week Justin sharing that there's been all of this wonderful blessing that God has brought to their, their gospel community. Community that's been... Um, real expressions of family, people looking out for each other, people celebrating each other's birthdays, opportunities to love and bless people, to share Christ with people. And, and Justin was reflecting on kind of where this came from. And he said there was a sermon a while ago about praying for boldness to do that. And it's just kind of like we, we took that, we prayed it, and we started doing it. And there's been fruit and wonderful stories that have been coming out of that gospel community. And so encourage you be encouraged by what god is doing in our family but but don't just be a spectator and watch on plead that god would do that in your gospel community in your heart in your life in your family our words are words that are to go upwards as we cry out to god for him to do what only he can do of the sixteen thousand words that you speak a day how many of those are prayers? Prayers that God would give opportunities for the word to be spoken, for us to make much of Jesus. Because the best thing 
that can fall off your lips is prayer. The best thing that can fall off your lips is prayer. But you'll find with Paul, as soon as he talks about prayer, mission follows very quickly. And he talks about this, these words that reach heaven, and then he flips and begins to talk about words that reach people's hearts. These are the outward words that proclaim Jesus. And he has a particular type of proclamation or speaking in mind here. And he speaks of clear speaking. He speaks of speech that is gracious. And he speaks of speech that is winsome and witty and that is backed up by a life that matches. And so as Paul moves from upward words to God to words for the outsider, that is those who don't follow Jesus, this is what he says. Firstly, they must be clear. Have a look at verse 4. Pray for an open door that I will make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. That I will make it clear. Here's the deal. No one will understand the message of Jesus if, they, if it's not clear, if it's muddy, and uh, if, it, if it doesn't make any sense at all. So let's just pretend with me for a moment that, that you have been praying and you've been asking God for an open door and opportunity, one holy encounter, and it comes, right? And a friend says to you, hey, um, I mean, just asking for a friend, right? But how do, how do you become a Christian? And your response is this. This is, this is your response, right? <laughs> Generally, freaking out, right? And, and, uh, and your response is this. You're like, well, um, uh, so here's the deal. We were, um, we were all reprobates um, because of original sin and um, the hypostatic union, the God-man, Jesus bit that... Um, um, that, that made the efficacy of the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus, which leads to imputed righteousness. Um, and uh, what, what's the bit that comes next? Um, oh, yeah, you're, you're justified, uh, but not just justified, you're glorified because there's this now but not yet nature of the eschatological future of our salvation hope. And, um, and Jesus is coming back. And um, anyway, just accept Jesus in your heart by praying the ABC prayer. What? Like, yeah. And they came running down the front and all put their faith in Jesus. Yeah, right, right? It's not our responsibility to convert people. The Spirit does the work of changing a heart. But it is our, responsi to make, our responsibility to make sure the message is clear, is comprehensible, is accurate. That is our responsibility. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't use our ramblings, right? I mean, for all of the times that we've all shared our faith and we've made a mess of it, and God still uses, yes, yes, God still uses our ramblings, and sometimes a fumbled gospel is better than no gospel at all. But our responsibility is to make the message clear. That's the first thing that Paul says about our outward words, is that they ought to be clear. Secondly, he says that these words ought to be backed by a life, that matches the message that you speak. Have a look at what he says in verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. The reputation of the gospel is bound up in your life. I'm sure you've heard of the quote, sometimes the only sermon that people will hear is the one that's preached by your life. Our actions communicate so much of what we believe. 
And the best way to dampen the transforming power of the gospel, the, the, the good news is not to let that good news transform your own life, heart, mind, words, actions. Paul says, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Similar to that verse that we looked at a few weeks ago in Titus chapter 2. That your good works make the gospel attractive. And then he says, making the best use of the time. Because time is short. Literally, some of the old translations use the word redeem the time. Buy it back. Make the most. When God opens the door, make the most of that opportunity. Because time is short and opportunities are few and far between. Jesus could come back tomorrow. There ought to be urgency about this speech. So it's clear speech. It's speech that's urgent. It's speech that's backed up by a life that's consistent with what we believe. And thirdly, it's speech that is full of grace. Have a look at verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each Person, You know, for too many, I think sharing your faith has been more about winning arguments than winning people's hearts. We're not concerned about winning arguments. In fact, I don't think anyone's convinced when we're out to win an argument, particularly when that happens on Facebook or social media. All right? The Great Commission was never go and have theological arguments with people so that you would convince them that they would be so wowed by your theological acumen and, 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 and just confess, you're amazing and so is Jesus and so I'm going to become a Christian. Right? That's, it's not about winning arguments. It's about, it's about winning people's hearts. And so our words need to be full of grace, not anger and argumentative. They need to be gentle. Time and time again, we're told in the scriptures that our actions give weight to our words. And the manner in which you speak has an effect on what you speak. The manner in which you say what you say has an effect on what you say. Right? If I'm preaching or if uh, um, any of our, our guys here at Anchor are preaching and we're bored with what we're saying, that communicates something about the message that we have. You might be bored right now. I'm sorry if that's the case. But hopefully what you've seen here is a demonstration of preaching that's passionate because we're convicted of this truth. The manner in which we speak affects the message that we communicate. And our words need to be full of grace, but also the way that we say them and the manner that we have needs to be gracious as well. Full of grace. Full of grace. So, clear backed up by a consistent life, full of grace. And finally, he says there, seasoned with salt. Have a look at verse 6 again. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is a cultural idiom that was used outside of the Christian faith in the Greco-Roman world. This idea of speech that was seasoned with salt speaks of witty, winsome kind of speaking. And so Paul is saying here, as you talk about Jesus, as you share your faith, it ought to be witty and winsome and attractive and appealing and, and maybe a little bit entertaining and humorous even. Right now he's not saying, you know, Try and be funny when you're not funny, because that's just awkward and disingenuous, right? He's saying your speech needs to be winsome. If our speech 
is putting people to sleep. If people just check out as we're sharing with them. If we don't communicate that, that this is something that excites us. People aren't going to hear the message. Our speech needs to be full of grace, winsome, witty, and genuine. So I hope you see here that there is this connection that Paul has between words that reach heaven and words that reach people's hearts. Our upward words of prayer and our outward words of proclamation of Jesus. Now, this isn't just one instance. What I want to demonstrate for you is this connection throughout the scriptures. John Piper says that it is almost impossible to overemphasize the importance of prayer and the purpose and plan of God, which is his glory across the whole earth. And so I want you to see that prayer always precedes proclamation. Prayer always precedes the speaking of the word of God. Just before Jesus embarks on his formal ministry... If you remember, he's been a carpenter with his father till about age 30. And then he goes to John the Baptist in the Jordan River, is baptized. You have that moment where the heavens are rent open. The spirit falls on him like a dove. The voice of God is heard to say that this is my son whom I love with him. I'm well pleased. But in that moment, it says that Jesus is praying. And then you flick over to Luke chapter 4 and instantly the very next thing that comes from that moment and those prayers is that Jesus is filled with the Spirit, tested in the desert for 40 days and then heads out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Prayer followed by the mission of Jesus. Or if you remember the other Lord's Prayer, I don't know if you realize there's two Lord's Prayers. The other one is when Jesus instructs his disciples to pray for mission. Have a look at Matthew 9, verse 35. It says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus is moved by the people that he has seen and he is moved to pray. Say, disciples, pray and ask that God would send someone to them, that God would send someone with a message of hope, that God would send someone to bring good news to them. And he doesn't say just pray, he says pray earnestly earnestly for God to do this. Now, we're not sure if the disciples prayed that prayer or not. But the very next thing that happened to the disciples, as you flick over to Matthew chapter 10, is that Jesus commissions them and sends them out to make known the kingdom of God. Prayer for mission is an essential part of the mission that Jesus sends us on. Jesus says, pray for this. You're going to be the answer to my prayer. Off you go. Go and tell people about the kingdom of God. Now, I don't want you to miss the significance of this as a pattern for what it looks like for a follower of Jesus. This is the pattern that Jesus has left for his disciples to follow, and that includes us. That prayer would precede mission. That prayer is a significant part of the mission that he calls us and sends us to. One final example. Acts chapter 13, verse 2 says this. While they were worshipping and fasting... 
the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now it's in the midst of fasting and worship, which no doubt includes prayer, that the Spirit calls out Saul and Barnabas and says, I'm sending them on mission. And then they pray and fast, they lay hands on them and they send them off. Prayer precedes mission. Prayer precedes mission always. And so church, if we have any hope, of seeing our vision come to fruition. If we have any hope of seeing this city radically impacted by the good news of Jesus, we have to be a church that moves forward on our knees. We have to be a church that is prayerfully dependent on God in every area of the life of our church. We've been offering some encouragements to pray over the last few months with each other, just in the context of our Sunday gathering, if you have a significant conversation with someone, don't pat them on the back, say, have a good week, see you later. Pray. Pray for each other. That There would be a culture of prayer in our church. We've got our prayer teams that are up the back constantly who are available to pray for you. Not enough people go there and to be prayed for. The times that I've been to the back and have had people pray for me, I've been blessed and encouraged by that. We've just appointed our first prayer coordinator, Amy Pratton. I don't know if Amy's in the room right now, if she's doing hospitality outside, but where is she? Right there, Amy. So Amy is coordinating a team of people who will be the people that you met a few weeks ago on the stage who are up the back, but we're constantly feeding that team prayer points on our Facebook page that these people would intercede on your behalf, on behalf of our church, that God would do what only he can do. We need to be a church that grows in this area. You know, I was chatting to a friend uh, this week on the phone, and she said to me that the thing that changed her life about prayer was this truth. God is attentive. She said that radically changed her view of prayer. God is attentive. Friends, when we pray, we're not just chanting words in the air. We're not just reciting things. This isn't just something that we do to nag and pester God, that he would somehow give it to us, that we would overcome his reluctance to bless us. God is attentive to our prayers. You know, before we had children, I remember seeing other parents and their kids would be like, Daddy, look, Daddy, look, Daddy, look, Daddy, look, Daddy, look, Daddy, look. And the parents don't look. I'm like, man, just look. What are you like? You're so inattentive to your kid. And then we had kids. And our kids are like, Daddy, look, Daddy, look, Daddy, look. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep, good. You know, I'm just, how unlike earthly fathers is our heavenly father, who doesn't just say, uh-huh, to our prayers, but he's attentive. The Psalms talk about God bending his ear towards the prayers of his people. He loves it when we pray. And the reason that God is attentive to our prayers is that he's our father. The thing that, that hindered our prayers was the sin that marred our lives. And Jesus came and died on the cross to wash that sin away and to give us access to the very presence of God that we would come before the throne of grace with confidence. Isn't that incredible? That you can come before the throne of grace, not trembling, 
but in confidence, knowing that the king of the universe is your daddy, your father, who is attentive to your prayers. Friends, that ought to stir us towards prayer. But maybe you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. You've never prayed before in your life. We want you to know that we pray for you. We may not know your name. Maybe your friends know your name, but we pray for you. And we believe that God wants to do a mighty work in your life, in your heart, in revealing who Jesus is to you. That's our prayer here at Anchor. We've been praying that for two and a half years. We pray that that would continue to happen. And so if anyone needs prayer for anything this morning, I want to encourage you to head to the back. Our prayer team will be there. They would love to pray for you. You don't have to pray. This is the cool thing about the prayer team. You don't have to pray. You just go to them and say, look, I've, I've got a really busy week, and I need God's strength. Would you pray for me? They will pray for you. You might need prayer for healing. You might need prayer for salvation. You might need prayer for a sick family member. You might need prayer for courage. You, whatever. Head to the back. Our prayer team would love to pray for you. That we would be a church that is so saturated in every corner of our church life with prayer. Pleading with God that he would do a work here that only he can do. That's what gives him glory. And so I'm going to pray now. We're going to respond in a number of ways. The first is we're going to respond in the Lord's Supper. To my right and left and halfway up the back of the auditorium are four stations with bread and grape juice. They represent symbols of the body and blood of Jesus. And so for those of you who love Jesus, if you, if you worship him, then this meal is for you. It's a reminder of what Jesus has done in shedding his blood, dying on the cross, and opening that access to the Father that we could approach the throne with confidence. Come and celebrate that meal. Respond in prayer, as I've already said. And we're going to respond in worship now. The band have picked good songs that helpfully point us to what prayer is. And so we're going to respond in that way as well. So I'm going to pray, and let's, uh, let's respond as is appropriate. God, we thank you that we can pray to you. We thank you that you hear. And we thank you that you are powerful, that you are able. We confess so often, Lord, that of all of the words that we speak in any given day, so few of those words are words that have eternal significance. So few of those words are words that petition your throne for a massive outpouring of your spirit. So few of those words are words that are spoken to bring hope to another person. God, we want to do this more. Would you beckon us and call us to your throne of grace, your fatherly ear that bends to listen, knowing that you're a good father, knowing that you long to bless your children with gifts. God, we pray boldly and expectantly for our city that you would do a work here in Sydney, that you would transform many lives for your glory, that you would bring people from death to life, that you would move people from half-hearted worship of you to wholehearted, that you would move people from one degree of glory to the next. God, we pray for nothing short of revival in this city know that this is your work and we plead with you please do it we know Lord that that begins in our own hearts our own lives 
and confess today that we need personal transformation in this area. Remind us afresh again today of your goodness, your love. We worship you and praise you in Jesus' name.